I appreciate the pastor giving me the opportunity to fill in for him while he's uh, while he's gone. We're going to be looking at two passages of scripture tonight. The first one is going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, if you would like to turn there. Ephesians chapter 6. There was a handout available if you were interested. They had some on on the desk out front. Ephesians chapter 6. Once you're there, I'm going to go ahead and open with a word of prayer before we study. Father, we know this is your word and we know that it's true no matter what the world says. We thank you for your word. It gives us guidance. It gives us hope. It brings us salvation. We thank you, dear God, that it is always true and that you are always faithful to us as Christians. I pray, Father, tonight that you will take the words that are spoken and you will speak to those that are here. Show them what you would have them to get from this message this evening. May it glorify you and your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Ephesians chapter 6, and before I get started, uh, I think I'll start with a little bit of a history lesson. If you're like my wife, you just love history, right? I don't know why, but I'm one of the few people that that I've talked to that really like history. I do. Well, most of you will remember George W. Bush. In 2002, when he was still the president, He coined a phrase, it was called, the phrase he said was axis of evil. Some of you remember that? He he coined this phrase axis of evil and he was talking about the nations of Iraq, Iran, and North Korea and how dangerous they were not only to the United States but to the world as a whole. If you go back even further in World War II, that phrase wasn't used then, but it could have been. Uh, In World War II, the Allied forces, which consisted primarily of the United States, Great Britain, France had already been defeated, and believe it or not, Russia was on our side then. Uh, We were at war against Nazi Germany, Mussolini's Italy, and the Japanese Empire. That could have also been called an axis of evil. They were called axis powers, but they were an axis of evil. Tonight I want to talk to you about another axis of evil. It is an axis of evil that each one of us as Christians have to fight every day of our lives. This axis of evil, uh, the pastor actually spoke, not using that term, But he referenced this axis of evil Sunday morning in his message, if you were here. He said Christians fight three major enemies. We have three mortal enemies. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And tonight, I won't spend the rest of our time speaking to you about the last one, the devil. You know in the Bible he's known by many names. But we're going to primarily focus on him being the devil or being Satan. 
Um, Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. This is talking about the armor of God and so forth. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I brought some water up here. I'm actually on, they put me on some medicine and it dries my mouth out so bad. So you'll have to bear with me. I don't normally have any, but I'll probably have to do that a few times. I want to focus on the little phrase there in verse 11, notice where it says, the wiles of the devil. The wi- we, he wants us to learn to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that's an old English word, and, and I, don't, I can't remember ever using it in a sentence in my life. I, I don't know if any of you have ever used the term wiles. I think the only time I've heard the word outside the Bible is when it was mentioned as beware of the wiles of a woman. I don't, I don't even know where that come from. And ladies, no offense, but that's just, I've heard that before, the wiles of a woman. Uh, and we're definitely not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, but that word, it doesn't, it, it, it is accurate. It's in the King James Bible. However, more accurate uh, synonyms for that would be the strategies of the devil or the methods of the devil. Those could be used. However, since the uh, organizational hierarchy used in verse 12 sounds like the organization of a military force, particularly an army, because it sounds like it could be an army, and since Paul refers to the Christians being involved in warfare, he also says in Timothy that we are soldiers of Jesus Christ, and since I'm a former soldier, I'm going to use a term that's more familiar to me and still is accurate for the Bible. Instead of saying the wiles of the devil, we're going to call it the tactics of the devil. That's the term that we use in the military when we're trying to figure out how our enemy would try to attack us. And so we want to focus on the tactics of the devil. We know that Satan's primary objective is to try to deceive us and everyone else into disobeying God. And exactly that's exactly what he tries to do in Genesis. This is where our second scripture is. I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at some of the tactics that the devil uses in order to try to deceive Eve and get her to disobey God's word. Before I read that, speaking of the military, uh, every combat soldier, we're, we're trained to not only know our strengths and weaknesses about all of our weapons, but we, we are trained to know our enemy. We are trained to know his strengths, his weaknesses, 
and his tactics. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, we are not to be ignorant of the devil's devices. Now, there's another word, devices. We are not to be ignorant of the ways that the devil tries to attack us. Although we're not to be ignorant, I fear that many Christians, uh, they, they may not know or recognize all of the strategies that Satan uses. And by the way, what he uses for Eve, those strategies, he still uses today for us. He, he uses them against us. And he uses them against the world. Remember in Revelation, it said he's the deceiver of the entire world. So how does he go about trying to deceive Eve? What is his his methods? What is his tactics? Let's read the first, uh, uh, first five verses. Now the serpent, and we're talking about Satan... Uh, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The serpent here, there is some disagreement amongst theologians. It really doesn't matter, but I'll tell you, some people, we just studied this in, in the, uh, our class with the single, single adults also, the fall of man. This, we were in this chapter. Uh, as far as the serpent goes, some people believe it is just Satan uh, disguised as a serpent. And by the way, when it says serpent, the precursed serpent looks a lot different than the serpents we think of today. Uh, one of the startling things about it to me when I think of a snake is the fact that Eve started talking to this serpent and it didn't even bother. Now, I have black snakes in my backyard. I live close to woods. And it bothers me when I even see the black snake. I won't kill them. I get them, pick them up, put them out in the woods. But I sure would really be startled if it started talking to me. But this is exactly what happened with Eve. This serpent... Uh, Other people believe that it was actually a creation of God. It was beautiful at the time. And that Satan entered this creature, this beautiful creature. That's why she wasn't afraid. Remember, they had no fear at that time. And Satan entered this serpent. And then Revelation calls Satan the serpent. So regardless of the point of view, it is Satan speaking to Eve, whichever perspective you take. And Satan is trying to deceive Eve. And and, uh, the first uh, step that he takes, the first tactic he uses in verse 1 is he distorts the word of God. Now, the King James Version in this case is not as clear about this distortion. Look at the last part where he says, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Other, some other translations say any tree. What Satan was actually saying there was, did God say you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? He was twisting and changing God's word, and he was successful in one thing. 
it got Eve to talking. You see, sometimes that's what happens. Just get to talking. If you ever start talking with the evil one, you're in trouble right off the bat. But it gets her to discussing it. But his first tactic was to distort the word of God. Throughout the scriptures, starting right here in chapter 3 of Genesis, all the way through the word of God, that's one of Satan's primary tactics. He tries to distort the word of God. Paul talked about it specifically in Galatians. You remember Paul said, I fear that when I leave that people are going to come in that are wolves in sheep's clothing basically and that they're going to, and Paul used the term, pervert the word of God. Same thing, to distort the word of God. Paul said those who come in and pervert the word of God, may they be accursed or anathema. That was a strong warning against anybody distorting are changing the word of God. We're studying Revelation now. We're not there, but I don't think I'm really giving away anything that the pastor's going to touch on. But one of the last things in the Bible, in the last chapter, there is a warning against distorting the word of God. Most distortions of the word of God is when people either add something to it or subtract from it. They will add something to it or subtract from it. And the warning in the word of God says, in that last chapter, it says, Woe be unto someone who adds to the words of this book. Now, it's actually talking about the book of Revelation, but I think it pertains to all the word of God. Woe be unto them who adds unto this. Jesus said, whoever adds to it, he will add the plagues of the book. That's a pretty severe warning. All those plagues that the pastor talked about, he said, you change the word of God and he's going to add those plagues on to you. And he said, woe be unto the one who subtracts from the words of this book. Some people will take away from the word of God the parts that they don't like. And the same curse comes on them, except he says, if you subtract from the word of God, I'll subtract your name from the Lamb's book of life. So severe warnings about... distorting the word of God. Now, how do some people do that? Uh, I want to talk about taking away from the word of God, so-called, and I have to say that term, so-called liberal Christianity has taken away much of the core beliefs of the gospel, the core doctrines of the gospel. That we sang earlier, nothing but the blood. There are no references to the shed blood of Jesus Christ in their hymnals because they made a concerted effort many years ago to take them out because they were offended that the blood of Jesus had, was that their sin was so bad that it had to cost the shed blood of Jesus Christ. They took out the blood. They took out the atonement. Without the atonement, there is no gospel. They took out the substitutionary aspect of the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ died for our sins. He died in our stead. Just as Jesus died instead of Barabbas, Jesus died instead of Jim Smitherman, and you can put your name there. They deny that. They also deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus and his return again. If you deny those, what do you have left? 
They don't have a book. They've taken out so much of the Bible and said it's not true. They probably just have a pamphlet to go by. But they have distorted the word of God by subtracting from the word of God. Others will add to the word of God. We are saved by grace. We're saved by faith through grace. Other people will say it's not just Jesus that saves you, but it's church attendance, it's church membership, it's baptism, it's uh, riding on a bike for two years and, and going around trying to have people follow. It's, it, they add more and more and more. They're under the same curse. The gospel is the gospel. Any man who will come to Jesus Christ and confess their sin and repent of it and call out for God to save them, they'll be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No adding to it. No subtracting from it. So the first thing he did was to distort the word of God. In the same statement that he made, in the same verse, he questioned the word of God. Look at... uh, Yes, yea, hath God said. Now, we would say that today this way. Did God really say? Did God really say? Now, is Satan still using that tactic today? Absolutely. Did God really say, and you add it in, in our culture, it's like this. Did God really say that marriage was between a man and a woman? Did he? We say he did, but Satan's trying to get people to question it. And so many people question it that our Supreme Court changed. They tried to change God's law. Did God say marriage is between a man and a woman? Did God say sex was between a male and a female within the bonds of marriage? Our culture says, nah. Did God say that sexual identity is determined by God and assigned at a person's birth by God himself? Did God say life begins in the womb? Our culture questions all of that. They question everything. And they have so-called religious experts that will go against it. I don't know how many times that you'll see a, 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 a preacher who's giving the word of God And they'll say, but this other preacher doesn't agree with that. Well, that other preacher's lost. If you don't believe the basics of the gospel, if you don't believe those things that I've just read, you're not a Christian. I don't care what you call yourself because you've denied all the most of the fundamentals of the Bible, of God's word. So he questioned the word of God. In verse 4, he denied God's word. Look at verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. First he got her to question the word of God, just as he does us in culture. He gets us to question the word of God, and if we can begin to question the word of God, it's a very short step to denying the word of God. You might say today, they would basically say, that's not true. Go back to the same things I talked about previously. Is marriage between a man? That's not true. There's no limitations on that. Come on now. Is sex between a male and a female? That's not true. 
Is, is the sexual identity assigned by God at birth? That's not true. And they go on and on and on. That's our culture, that what we live in. Satan distorts the word, gets people to distort it. He gets people to question the word of God. Next thing you know, they're denying the word of God. And, of course, the result is they disobey the word of God. That's what happened with Eve. Now, not only did, was Satan's first tactic was to distort, his second tactic was to question the word of God. Then he denied the word of God. In, ver, in verse 5, he questioned God's motive and his goodness. Look at verse 5. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He questioned the goodness of God. What was God's motive for telling them to stay away from one tree? What's God's motive for for giving us the Ten Commandments? What's God's motive for telling us not to do some things and to do other things? What's his motive? His motive is, according to the word of God, he is a good God and everything he does, he does for our benefit. Everything he does, he does for our benefit. That tree, he told her, stay away from it because he had already warned them in the day that you eat of, you will die. He was warning her because it was going to be destructive if she did partake of it. By the way, just a caveat there. It's not part of the lesson. We talked about in our class. Why didn't they die that day? Because God said, the day you eat there, you'll die. Well, they did die spiritually, but they were supposed to die physically too, but why didn't they? Because Jesus himself in the garden, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, slew the animals to cover them with animal skins. That's the first time blood was shed there in the garden. The reason they didn't die is because their sins were covered, just like our sins are covered. That's why we don't die when we sin. And all that blood was just looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ, the only blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Question God's motive. Do people question God's motive today? That God of yours, he's just a party pooper. He's just keeping you from having fun. He knows that if you disobey him and you do these things, man, life is going to get better for you and it's going to be great. Well, guess what? Satan was partially right when he said, your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil. She knew it, but it wasn't the way she thought it was going to be. She knew what evil felt like to be a sinner, to be automatically, she knew she was naked. Automatically, it changes a person's life. And yet the world says, God's just trying to keep us from having fun. I tell you what, people, the idea out in the world is that Christians don't have no fun, and that's about as far away as I can think of. Because I love to laugh. I love to make people laugh. I love to enjoy life. And God meant for us to enjoy life. And if we will obey his commandments, we will enjoy life and not get harmed because every time you disobey God, you will be harmed. So he, 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 uh, in verse 5, he questioned God's motive. He questioned God's goodness. 
our Lord, I don't, surely you've noticed, I don't know that you take it the same way I have, but it's very clear to me that there is a concerted effort to change, to do away with all norms in society. Have you seen it? I mean, even the commercial, everything, it, it, anything that was considered normal up to this point is being done away with and, and changed around to something else. There is a, there is a concerted effort that that's, that, that's what's happening. Uh, the concerted effort, I guess you could word it this way, and I did. There is concerted effort to do away with all restraints on human behavior. All restraints on human behavior. Throw out the word of God. And where does those restraints come from? It comes from the conscience that God gave people. It comes from the word of God. It comes from the church and it comes from the mouths of Christians. Those are the restraints. Remember the pastor talked about there's going to come a time when the restrainer is going to be taken out. And you don't want to be here when there's no restraint on sin. Because then we'll see what the human beings without God, without restraint, will be like. The world wants a world with no restraints on human behavior, especially when it comes to sex. Look at our world. I preached a sermon after the Supreme Court legalized homosexuality, marriage, homosexual marriage. I told my congregation at the time, they just opened the floodgates of hell because if that's legal... They're going to push everything in the world. And what came on the heels of that, an explosion of transgenderism, an explosion of transvestitism, an explosion of people uh, uh, just, the letters keep going. LGBTQ, I don't know how many there are, but it reminds me of what God said in Genesis chapter 6. Every thought and intention of their heart is evil continuously. We're looking more and more like that. In our culture, how much longer will God put up with it? The only thing today that is immoral is to say that something is immoral. If you say that homosexuality is immoral, they call you the immoral person. If you say that any of those things that are going on that I mentioned, if you say those things are immoral or those things are wrong or sinful, look out. Because the flack is going to come your way. The pastor spoke about it. I said it back in the 1990s. There was a movie that came out, Enemies of the State. I preached a message on that one sometimes. God gives you, he can give you information. for. I said, there will come a time when Christians will be seen as the enemy of the state. It's rapidly coming. It's already happening all over the place. Uh, just as the Jews were, uh, how did, we were watching The Hiding Place the other night. Me and Lisa was watching that. And watching the way the Germans treated the Jews, even the little children, the women, the way they were brutal to them, the way they just killed them in a heartbeat. I, you know, we were sitting there said, and Lisa said, how can a human being do that to another human being? It's demonic. And it started with putting the blame on the Jews. All of the trouble in Germany, all your trouble is on those guys. Well, guess what the world is saying now? 
those Christians, they won't let us enjoy life. They won't agree with us. They won't go with the flow, and they got to shut us down. It's coming, guys. Now, those were the tactics that Satan used against Eve. I'd like to mention a couple more that were not used there, but he's definitely using them. He distracts us. I try to make as many of these as possible start with a D, but I'm not real good at changing them all. He distracts us. If you're being distracted, you're being distracted from something. What does he distract us from? He distracts us from being about the Father's will, from being about the Father's service. He distracts us. He gets us so busy, we don't have time for God. We don't have time to do the things we should be doing, which is the priority things of what God wants us to do. And how does he do it? I can give you a lot of the names of electronics. People say, I don't have time, but they spend hours a day looking at the television. I don't have time. But they'll spend hours a day looking at a computer screen. I don't have time. But they'll spend hours a day looking at videos and talking back and forth on the cell phone. I'm not saying those things are evil, but I am saying that Satan is using them for evil. If we don't have time for God, maybe it's time for us to sort of cut back on some of those things. But he uses them to distract us from being about God's work. Another thing, oh, he also, he doesn't just distract Christians, he distracts lost people too. And what does he distract them from? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want them thinking about eternity. He doesn't want them thinking about hell. He doesn't want them thinking about sin. So he distracts them with the same things he tries to distract us with. Do you know there are a lot of people in this world that really only think about death, that really only think about is there life after death at someone's funeral? Yeah. That's why it's so important for any preacher when they're doing a funeral to give the gospel of Jesus Christ on that day because maybe some people are being moved a little bit more that day knowing that that's going to be me soon too. But he he distracts the world. He distracts the lost from salvation. And the last tactic, and he has more. I I couldn't go. Hey, he's smarter than I am. And he knows me better than I know myself. And he knows you better than you know yourself. The last one I put, and this one is is so, so true. He desensitizes us to sin. He desensitizes us to sin. The first time that you sin, it bothers you. It bothers you a lot if you're a Christian. It really does. If you sin again, it bothers you a little less. If you sin again, it bothers you even less. You do it on and on and on. Next thing you know, you become desensitized to that sin and it doesn't bother you at all. Satan uses those electronic devices, the television, so forth, to desensitize us and our country and our culture to sin. Guys, I'm going to tell you what. 
Even the commercials these days are cesspool on TV. I mean, I don't have children at home anymore. I feel, I feel for you that do. But I do have my grandkids that come over every now and then. And they have to, even if you're watching a wholesome television program, the commercials are not wholesome. There is homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, transvestitism. Some of the famous shows is, has to do with being gay or something. Walt Disney got caught with one, one of their lead people saying they, they're putting queer into everything they can. They're trying to desensitize us, desensitize our kids to sin, and it's working. I, 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 first, I learned a long time ago, even though you're talking to Christians, not everybody out there believes what you believe because some people have been desensitized to sin. It's sort of like the old experiment that they did with the frog. You see, Satan doesn't come in there full bore. He comes in a little bit at a time. Remember the old experiment with the frog? They put a pot on the stove and they had to just barely, it didn't have temperature on at all, didn't have the heat up. And the frog just flying around. He just, he's good. He's swimming. He's got him a new place to hang around. And then they turned the temperature up a little bit. You know, frog probably said, hey, wait a minute, what's that? And he got used to it. And turned it up a little bit more and he got used to it. And kept doing it and doing it and doing it till it was too hot and it killed the frog. That's a picture of us in our country right now. We're being so desensitized to sin that even Christians are beginning to ask the question, did God say that's wrong? Entire denominations are accepting these things into their congregation and and saying that it's okay. Uh, Ordaining homosexual ministers. Uh, Now, this church... and. I'm not the pastor, but I know the pastor's heart. This church is open to anybody that wants to come in here, hear the word of God, and be changed. It's not We're not exclusive. We, we're not saying homosexuals are not welcome here. Hey, the Bible says we were once some of those things. He gives a whole list of things. He says, and you were once some of those things, but God saved us. He brought us out of that. So we're more than happy for people to come, understanding that they're coming in to let Jesus change their hearts, not coming in to leaven the whole group into that way of thinking. Desensitized to sin. He distorts the word, he questions the word, he questions God's motive, he denied the word, he distracts us, and he desensitizes us to sin. In conclusion, and it's not a short conclusion, so just hang on. (laughs) You know, and Jeremiah speaks about it, you know that God has a plan for your life, don't you? Each and every one of us. The Bible, God created us. He gave us certain traits, certain skills, certain likes, certain dislikes, and spiritual gifts. That's a class I'm going to be teaching with our uh, single adults, every person should know what their spiritual gift is. And I, and I know that, not just the single adult, but I know that a lot of Christians have no idea what their spiritual gift is. But he's given you a spiritual gift, and the Bible says those things are made to edify the church if everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. But he, God has a plan for your life. 
You know that. But do you know Satan has a plan for your life? Oh, Satan's got a plan for you. His plan is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. He wants to kill our relationships. He wants to kill our witness. He wants to destroy everything in our lives. He wants to steal the things that God has earned for us. You have a, a God has a plan for your life. So does the devil. God's plan for you is good. It's for your good. Satan's plan is evil. And it's for your harm. He'll make it look good. Oh, man, he, he got Eve to looking at that fruit. He had her think, oh, man, it looks good. It, it, it smells good. It, it, it's good to make one wise. And she took it. Uh, anybody ever been to Las Vegas? Don't answer that question. I was. Our unit was in, in, in Panama, and our colonel, we had to go for training up in California. And uh, we had a layover, and our, our colonel loved to gamble. So he set it up to where we flew into Las Vegas, stayed in Las Vegas overnight, went to training in California for a week, came back and stayed it, in Las Vegas a night before we flew out. You know that's what one of the earthquakes hit. <laughs> it was. Uh, we, I was in Las Vegas drinking a cup of coffee downstairs when we were getting ready to leave. And the whole building started shaking, glasses falling. And we're a long ways from California where the, where the center of it was. I'm thinking, I ought not be in this place. <laughs> anyway, uh, now, I'll make this statement. If we know his tactics and recognize them when his attacks come, we'll be better prepared to stand against them. And that's what Paul said. To stand against the wiles of the devil and not be defeated. We'll be better prepared. However, we must remember two things. It's, it's good to know those things. But we must remember first, our battle is not against other people. The pastor has said that so many times. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. You may think your enemy is the boss. You may think it's your next door neighbor. You may think it's your spouse or your kids at times. But it's not. Satan uses them. He, I mean, he, I've always said, there ain't nobody can make me as mad as Lisa. You don't have the power to make me that bad, but she does. Our battle is not against other people or even our circumstances. It is against the forces of evil which the devil commands. Now, you and I are not important enough for the devil himself to deal with. I know I'm not. But he's got a lot, of co a lot of cohorts out there. When those angels fell, there was millions and millions of them that fell with him. So there's plenty of them out there. And they'll do the same thing. They're doing, they're doing Satan's bidding. And the second thing we have to remember, and this is most important of all, we are helpless without the armor of God. That and prayer is what allows us to withstand Satan's tactics and Satan's attacks. We need to know our enemy. We need to know his tactics. That alone is not enough. We must be clothed in the armor of God to be able to stand against the tactics, against the attacks of Satan. 
That's the conclusion of the message. I'll close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you.